another welcome to all of you here this morning. Thank you for coming on out. I want to especially offer a welcome to those who are visiting us this morning. I know it can be intimidating to visit a new church for the first time, uh, whether you are a Christian or not. So thanks for coming out. I hope you felt welcomed. I hope that uh, this message will encourage you. I want to begin this morning by telling a story about my friend Susan. It's not a real name, but I want to protect her identity here. Susan's story is not a happy one, I'm afraid. When Susan was a little girl, she was abused by a close family friend, and it was not a one-time event. When she finally understood enough about what was going on to talk to her parents about it, they didn't believe her. In fact, they grew increasingly distant from her over the months that followed. Now, it may have been because Susan's family was pretty uh, well-to-do and didn't want this type of thing going around in their, in, uh, their social circles. Well, it could have been something else. Susan wasn't really sure. Regardless, the shame of what happened to Susan stayed with her for years. In high school, she could never keep a boyfriend for more than a month or two before she'd become overwhelmingly anxious and would break it off. Despite the short-lived relationships, though, she gave herself, all of herself, to a number of those boys in high school. She constantly hoped that one of those relationships would finally help her overcome the shame she felt, but they never did. She even tried the alternative to boys for a time. That only made her feel worse. I met Susan in my last semester at college. We talk on occasion, but she didn't much like the way I talked about Jesus, and so our conversations rarely got too deep. However, one night after coming back from a party, she came by my dorm room, cried for a long time, and then told me this whole story I'm telling you now. For months, I had been reaching out to Susan because I saw from her life that she was a sinner in need of forgiveness. But now, sitting there in that room, I saw that she was also a broken, ashamed little girl as well. As all this was sinking in for me that night, there was a long pause in our conversation. Then Susan looked at me, smiled a little bit, and said something that I'll never forget. So I hear that Jesus knows how to fix people like me. We ended up talking about a lot of scripture that night. But one of the places, one of the first places I took her to was the two stories that we're going to look at this morning. So please turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 1, which can be found on page 543 if you have a church Bible. While you turn there, let me bring you up to speed. We've begun studying the Gospel of Mark together as a church over these past few weeks. Mark is one of four men whose accounts of the words and works of Jesus of Nazareth are preserved for us here in the Bible. And Mark opens his book with the proclamation of a new king, God's chosen king. And as Mark writes, he prompts us repeatedly to ask, who is this king? What is he like? And is he worth following? Last week, we discovered that this king comes with great authority and great power, along with great compassion and mercy. And he is on a mission to save the world by preaching about the new kingdom that he is ushering in. Today, Mark is inviting us once again to ask ourselves the question, who is this king? 
Once again, we're going to discover a king who perfectly combines absolute authority with incredible compassion. And we're going to discover something far greater still, that this king is not only God's chosen king, this king is the holy God himself. And this king knows how to fix people like Sue, like you, and like me. So let's begin reading at the end of Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40. And a leper came to him, that is Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Here we have an interaction between Jesus and a leper. Now, we don't know per se that this guy actually had leprosy. Your Bible probably includes a little footnote saying that this could have been any number of skin diseases. However, regardless of exactly what it was that this man had, we can know a good bit about what his life was like. The Jewish society had very strict rules for the life of a leper. The most noteworthy thing was the social isolation that would take place. This man had to live outside of the towns. And because of this social isolation, this man would not have been able to get regular work. So he had no money. He'd be regularly dependent on charity for the rest of his life. He couldn't live with others, except other lepers. So he had few relationships and almost certainly no contact with his family. He wouldn't even know the touch of another human being. Furthermore, lepers were required to wear torn clothes and to keep their hair long and unkempt, and they had to keep their mouths covered at all times, and they would cry out, Unclean! Unclean! The symbolism here was meant to imply that lepers are ritually dead and essentially worthless. Friends, this man, this leper, would have carried around thick, tangible shame with him every day of his life. Yet for all this suffering, here's perhaps the very worst part. It wasn't even his fault. This utter corruption of his life did not come about because of his sin, but rather Adam's sin. When the first man, Adam, sinned against God, all God's creation began to fail. Things began to die. Diseases began to spread. Nothing worked like it should. And all these years later, this leper right here was one of those paying the price for Adam's terrible decision. And so, the leper sat begging, hoping for the smallest amount of compassion from others. He would daily endure averted eyes, or perhaps worse yet, judgmental eyes, looking down on him, wondering what he'd done, thinking him worthless. And it's likely that over time, the leper came to believe this himself. One can only cry out, unclean, unclean, for so long before you start to believe it yourself. You are unclean. 
you are broken. You are shamed. This is the life of a leper. A leper who had only one hope in all the world. Mark tells us that this leper came to Jesus. This leper likely heard the reports about Jesus' healing, and as audacious as it must have seemed to everyone around him, he reasoned that if Jesus wanted it to be, he could be healed. In other words, he heard that Jesus knows how to fix people like him. And he was right. We've already seen that Jesus is a compassionate healer. This leper had come to the right place. But even this leper could not possibly have anticipated what happened next. Jesus didn't simply heal him. According to verse 41, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Now don't miss this, friends. At this moment, every one of Mark's Jewish readers would have gasped. And that's because... That's because they understood some things that we can miss. All Jews knew that there were things that are ritually clean, and there are things that are ritually unclean. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're physically clean and unclean, but rather this was a matter of status before God. There were clean things, and there were unclean things. The clean things were acceptable to him. The unclean things were not acceptable to him. And there were even... Uh, there was even a greater amount of cleanliness could be had, a greater status, and that was called holy. Things that were holy never, ever came in touch with things that are unclean. That's an unthinkable idea to a Jew. That thing, if it touched, if this holy thing touched an unclean thing, it would become corrupted. This holy thing would become unclean. And the only way to fix that would be if, if you either went through extensive cleansing rituals to restore its value, or in many cases, it would be utterly destroyed. So Mark has worked really hard here to make this point, and he has worked really hard here to show us that Jesus is a holy man. Jesus is as holy as it gets. He declared just a few verses earlier, we talked about this last week, that Jesus is the Holy One of God. That's the holiest that a holy man could possibly be. And yet here, in an utterly shocking moment, Jesus touched the leper. The holy touched the unclean. And suddenly, in that instant, everything Mark's audience understood about holiness and uncleanness was turned upside down. Jesus said to him, I will be clean. And with that, the leper was clean. In that single moment, everything changed. The leper was no longer a leper. He wasn't. His defining characteristic had just changed. He was clean. He was now a man just like every other man, made in the image of God. And Jesus was not made unclean. He was still holy. He was clearly not a man just like every other man. This man was the holy God himself. Now, 
Verse 45 tells us that as a response to this amazing miracle, the leper completely ignored Jesus' instructions to keep quiet. Instead, he talked freely about it. Because for the first time in his entire life, he could. He could talk to anyone he wanted, anywhere he wanted to go. He could tell them everything he wanted to say because he didn't have to shout, unclean, unclean. He could shout about Jesus. And that's exactly what he did. His passion for Jesus became far more infectious than his leprosy ever was. That's because shame no longer haunted him. He no longer needed to cover his face and lurk in the shadows and avoid looking people in the eye. He could get a job. He could see his family. He could have his own family. He could receive a hug or give a hug or have one of his loved ones wipe away all of his many, many tears. This is a beautiful story, isn't it? I think it's one of the most beautiful stories in all the Bible. But Mark included this story here, not primarily to tell us about the leper who was healed. He included it to tell us more about the king who did the healing. This king has an authority beyond anything we've seen before. This king has the authority to cleanse. This king is holy through and through, and no amount of uncleanness can diminish his holiness, even the smallest amount. And this king welcomes the unclean, the broken, the shamed, the outcasts. This king welcomes people like you and like me. I think many of us here this morning probably feel a lot like that leper. Now, what you may have may not get diagnosed as leprosy. It may not be a skin disease. They may not be physical scars and bruises that you have, but there still will be scars and bruises, right? Some of us have emotional scars that no one really sees but are very much real. Some of us have relational bruises that you can clearly see in the mirror every morning, even if no one else does. Even in a crowded room, you feel alone. You feel different. Though you don't cry out, unclean, unclean, you nonetheless record or play that recording over and over and over in your mind throughout your day. You feel like a burden. You feel like a beggar. You feel shame. Dear friend, Jesus invites you to come. Though others may avoid your pain or pull away out of fear, Jesus stretches out his hand and says, come, let me cleanse you. But beware, friend, because Jesus is not the only one inviting you to come. There's no shortage of other things that would invite you to come and be healed. These come in the form of things like self-help books, alcohol, sexual freedoms, 4.0 GPAs, marriage, retirement, and endless streams of entertainment. These each promise much, but they do not have the God-given authority to cleanse you. Though they may temporarily numb the pain, and some of them, in fact, are good things, 
they do not have the power to heal. No human king or institution has authority to cleanse you. Only God's king can do it. Only this king has authority to cleanse. Only this king has authority to cleanse you. So come to him. Follow him. Be cleansed by him. It has been said that Christianity is a crutch for weak people. That phrase used to offend me, but it doesn't anymore. In fact, when I hear people say that, I usually tell them that they're not far from the kingdom. They understand the nature of Christ. And so, embrace the crutch of Christ. Lean completely on him and find the healing you've always been looking for. That's what my friend Susan did. It didn't happen right away. It didn't happen in my dorm room that night. And it's probably for the best because she was drunk. But she did come to him sometime later. And he cleansed her. It didn't mean that she never struggled again with her past. But now she knows that her past doesn't define her work. Her king does. And much like our leper friend, Susan made it a point to tell everyone that she could find about what her king had done for her. So as for any of you here that have already made the decision to follow this king, if this king has cleansed you, if he has taken away your shame, then spread the news. Spread it like leprosy. Tell everyone you know. This leper's life was so changed that he couldn't hold it in. Neither could Susan. Let's follow their examples. As healed lepers ourselves, let's find every other leper we know and tell them where he was healed. Before we move on, let me note one more thing in the text. We've already seen that the leper had spent his life in isolation, right? But note what's changed at the end of this short story. Where is the leper? Among the people, telling them about what had happened, right? But where is Jesus? According to verse 45, he's out in desolate places. Jesus is now the one in isolation. Jesus and the leper have effectively traded places. Now, Mark does not want us to miss this. This wasn't an accident. He is giving us here a small foretaste of what's to come. Because it won't be long before this king will do another great exchange. For our sake, this king, the righteous one, will become sin. He who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He will willingly pay the penalty for sin that we deserve, hanging on a wooden cross, so that we would be forgiven and have unlimited access to our holy God forever. So who is this king? He's a king who will cleanse us. He's a king who will die for us. He's a king who will forgive all of our sins. Let's take a look together at this next story to see how he does that. This is the next point in your outline. This king has authority to forgive sins. We're going to start in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. 
all the way down to verse 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise up, take your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all. So they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. So, we've seen that Jesus spent time in desolate places with tons of people coming to him. Eventually, he returns here to Capernaum. Jesus managed to find a place indoors in order to continue his work of preaching the good news of God's kingdom. And it was apparently very, very crowded in there. Mark says that there's no room, not even at the door. Then we're introduced to a man who is paralyzed. He's unable to move on his own, and therefore as dependent as the leper on the kindness of others. However, unlike the leper, this man had a vibrant community around him. He has at least four friends who are willing to serve him by carrying him on a bed to see Jesus. This was surely not easy labor on their part. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to like pick up a person and carry them around. You can't just bend them any which way. That hurts them. And so you had to carry them. And how much more difficult is it to, to hold onto a bed and carry this person? And so the paralytic, like the leper, no doubt felt deep shame. Deep shame as he, as he depended so visibly on others. He couldn't help in any way. He was, quite literally, a burden to them. Yet these were faithful men indeed, weren't they? They, had, uh, they were faithful not only to their friend, but they also had faith that Jesus could heal them. And they're more than faithful men. These are determined men, right? I mean, goodness, if you or I show up at a restaurant and there's a 30-minute wait, we just go somewhere else, right? Not these guys. They're like, let's go up on the roof. And they just start climbing. Up they go. And when they, you know, so <laughs> they literally tore apart someone's house in order to get this person to Jesus. That's pretty crazy. We don't even know whose house it was. We don't even know if they had shovels or if they just used their hands to make a hole and then lower the friend down. We don't know exactly how that happened. But just imagine this scene for a moment. Imagine that you were one of faithful few who got up bright and early as soon as you heard that Jesus was in town and you rushed over to get the very best seats. Okay, so you're in this room. It's packed in there. It's probably a bit stuffy and noisy, and there are there are just people all around you. You can't move. And you've got a front row seat to see Jesus. And so you're sitting there listening to one of the greatest sermons you've ever heard, and all, all of a sudden, like, dust and dirt start falling down. And you're like, what? 
going on? And then like bigger pieces of things, tile or grass or whatever the roof was made of, starts falling on your head and you see sunlight peeking through and you're like, what's going on? And you see these guys shuffling around up there. And they say, you know, there's a bed coming down. Now think, remember this, you're sitting in the front, you're like these students who so faithfully sit here every week and they're like, they're like right up in my grill here. All right, this is like what it was like here on Jesus. And a bed comes down. Where's the bed going to go? There's no room left, right? It's going to land on your laps. It's going to be literally right here. <laughs> the bed is on your laps. This isn't, this isn't like, oh, look, here it comes out of the corner there on a nice elevator. This is These guys probably weren't coordinated bed lowers, okay? Like, the guy was probably flopping around a little bit, terrified he's going to fall, and it lands on your laps. That's embarrassing. That's weird. You know, you, you wanted the good seats, and you have, like, the worst seat. You have, you have this bed sitting on you. But, but, okay, what your squished self would have seen next would have made it all worth it. Because Mark tells us in verse 5 that Jesus saw their faith, plural, their faith, meaning the faith of the friends, the ones who are lowering the paralytic down, and he compassionately said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And so they were. Without being able to do anything, the paralytic couldn't have moved, and without a word, without payment, without even being able to kneel before Jesus like the leper did, his sins were forgiven. Now, as amazing as that is, that's probably not why the paralytic and his friends came to see Jesus. But it sure stirred up the hornet's nest among the scribes, didn't it? I'm not even sure why scribes were there in the first place. Like, what were they doing there? Like, were they there because they wanted to hear the teaching? Maybe take some notes, see how they could improve and sound more like this guy? I don't know. Maybe it was one of their houses, and now they're all, you know, annoyed because their house is falling in. I don't know. Maybe they even came because they wanted to be healed. And so they've just been healed. That, that's pretty cool. But regardless, their angry, angry response is very telling, isn't it? They ask themselves, why does this man speak like that? And that's a great question, actually. The scribes often ask good questions. What, and this is a question we should, ourselves should be asking. Unfortunately, the answer they provide is as wrong as it is prideful. They say, he is blaspheming! Why do they think that? Well, we're informed via their next question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Again, these guys have great questions, but they aren't asking it honestly. It's not really a question to them. They've already decided the answer and they've rendered a verdict. He is blaspheming. Let's not you and I jump to that conclusion so quickly. Because let's ask ourselves, who can forgive sins but God alone? The answer, of course, is, well, no, only, only God can forgive sins. No one else can. And so either Jesus is blaspheming or Jesus is God himself. Which is easier to say some words or to perform a miraculous healing. His audience would surely say that anyone could say some words. You can say whatever you want. But only God's approved one could do a miracle. So if a miracle could be done, 
then you were God's approved one. And if you were God's approved one, then surely the words you spoke about forgiving sins must be the case, must be true. And that's just what Jesus says in verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, has authority to forgive sins, I say to you, paralytic, rise, pick up your mat, and go home. And that's exactly what the paralytic did. Then everyone went nuts. Okay? This is, like, it says they were amazed and glorified God. This was not a somber moment. They didn't all let us pray and bowed their heads and sat there quietly. This was a party. There was probably shouting and laughing and dancing and praying, like, in, in, in shouting. That, you know, it just, you ever been to, like, a prayer meeting where people are really, really into it and, like, they're kind of stumbling over each other just to pray because they're so excited? That's probably what's happening here. They're glorifying God. They're having a party. And this is all being done, remember, in a room so tight that there wasn't even room for the bed to come down. So they're probably falling all over each other. This is a crazy room full of happiness. And the words on everyone's lips, it says, are we never saw anything like this. And they were right. Never before in the history of the world had anyone seen God face to face. Until now. So what does Mark intend to show us by this? Well, first of all, he wants us to know that if you really want someone to come to Jesus, busting through the roof is a good way to go. <laughs> Secondarily, he wants you to know that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. And it's very good news for you and I, because we are sinners. Every one of us has failed to live up to the standards that God has called us to. There are, there are hundreds of commandments that, that could indict us that could show us that we are guilty. But I, I usually don't have to think through, how am I doing today? Did I get, like, oh, I got to 70 and failed today. That's usually not how it goes. I can think back, oh, usually over the last hour, and find in my heart uh, judge, uh, a judgmental attitude, a prideful thought, or, or you know, the kind of the, the king of all sins. You can say, hey, have you loved your neighbor as you love yourself? Well, I love myself an awful lot. My life indicates it. Where my money goes, how I spend my time, indicates to me how very much I love myself. And I don't do nearly that for my neighbor. So guilty as charged. Even if you got by that one somehow, how about, hey, have you looked lustfully at a woman? Ooh, sinner. Or have you gotten angry with your brother in your heart? Ooh, okay, yeah. Pretty much not looking so good. I'm not like a, a B student here. I'm like, I'm like, I scored maybe 1% on a good day. That's the type of sinner that I am. But here, Mark shows us that our hope is the same as the paralytics. As paralyzed as he was physically, all of us are spiritually. I'm sure he spent many days just trying to move, even, even a toe, just a wiggle a toe, some kind of progress to no avail. And you and I have spent many days, I'm sure, just trying to obey God to equally no avail. But here at Grace Fellowship Church, we know, like the paralytic's friends did, that there is hope for restoration and forgiveness in one place, and that is Jesus Christ. He has authority to forgive sins, and if we come to him, he will. But Mark is saying still more here, too, because he's saying God alone can forgive sins, and Jesus forgave this man's sins, and therefore Jesus is God himself. That's our only possible conclusion. 
This was plain to the scribes. That's what got them all in a tizzy in the first place. And rightly so. I mean, everything they thought they knew about God had just changed in front of them. Jesus has a way of doing that, doesn't he? Friends, we've never seen anything like this. No one is like Jesus. There's no one like him. No human king has authority like his. And no one has holiness like his. No human king is God himself, no matter what he claims. No human king has authority to forgive your sins, nor does any prophet or priest or pastor or program. None of them do. Only God can forgive sins, and God has chosen to forgive sins only through his holy king, Jesus Christ. My friend Susan discovered this too. She first came to Jesus. She came to him because she'd heard that Jesus knew how to fix people like her. She came for cleansing. She came because she was broken. But what she came to see was that while she did have all manners of things in her life that needed fixing, she also had need of forgiveness. All people have two needs, friends. Like Susan, we all need cleansing from our shame and we need forgiveness from our sins. That's what Susan learned. That's what the paralytic learned. That's what this whole crazy, crowded room learned. So what do we learn from this? What are we supposed to do with this? Simply this, come to Jesus. Follow him. We already saw that you can come to him with your shame and your brokenness, and he will cleanse you. Now we're also seeing that you can come to him with all of your sin, too. Sometimes we're led to believe that we need to get ourselves cleaned up first, right? Like, you need to... You need to have a few good days in a row, be kind to people, dress up nicely, come to church. Uh, you should probably know a few of the songs and sing them well. And then maybe, if you're lucky, Jesus will accept you. Now, it sounds silly to say that, but that's how we tend to act. That's, that's, that's kind of how we tend to think. But it's all backwards. The paralytic did get cleaned up. He was hanging from a roof, covered in, in, in roof dirt. The only thing he brought to Jesus was his desperation along with four friends, and the tiniest degree of faith. And it was enough. It was enough. So if you haven't come to Jesus yet, come just as you are. Dirty, broken, and in need of forgiveness. He will accept you. And if you have already come to him, then here's what you should do. Find three other friends, and next week, Bring a spiritually paralyzed person with you to meet your king. I even give you permission to come through the roof if you need to. I'll check with the excellence team on that. We're now into Mark's second chapter, and he continues to ask us, who is this king? The answer that he gives is that this king is the holy God himself, full of compassion and mercy, the only one who is able to cleanse you and forgive your sin. And this king has his hand stretched out to you. Will you take it? Let's pray. Jesus, we are overcome by your holiness. We would never have imagined a God who would touch a leper. We would never imagine a man so compassionate that he would trade places with a leper who would allow 
a paralyzed man who is utterly worthless in society to pour down dirt on his sermon. But that's the type of God we have. Jesus, thank you that you chose to to model this for us. Thank you that you were a king who chose to come, though you didn't have to. You could have just demanded our homage and our service, waited till we got perfect, and then came. But it would have never happened, God. Thank you that you chose to come and die for sinners like us. Thank you that you'd welcome us, even when we're broken, because we surely are. God, would you, would you lead us to those people in our lives who are spiritually paralyzed, spiritual lepers, Would you help us reach out to them and say, brother, sister, I'm just like you. Come and meet my king. God, would you do this for your glory? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.